money, the, the faster you chase after money, the faster it runs. Like I've yeah. just, I've learned to not focus on trying to get money and instead just focusing on trying to add value uh, to the marketplace as much as I possibly can. And money just flows in when you do that. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to the Spreading Success Podcast. My name is Ram Raviv, and I am your host. Today, I'm joined by Brett Knutson. Brett, how are you doing today, man? Doing well. Thanks for having me. So for the listeners that are not familiar with you or don't know really what you're up to, can you just give them a 60-second snapshot about who you are? Sure. So um, I got started originally, I would say, in sales, uh, but I'm, I'm best known for a consumer software company I started called Hive. It was a social network that helped connect people based off of shared interests and proximity. So it helped you make new friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, our lead investor for that was the co-founder of EA Games. I ran that company for about five years and uh, I'm still the chairman today, but I'm no longer the active CEO. I stepped down about a year ago to start a marketing agency called Monopolize. Mm-hmm. And we work with uh, anywhere from Fortune 500s to startups and big personal brands like Grant Cardone and everywhere in between. So that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, man. It's awesome. I, I did a lot of research and you, you work on so many different projects. I know you also, you worked with a, so a watch thing. Is that, is that correct? A, a, some kind of watch and apparel company. Um, yep. And yeah. yeah. So I, I have other companies that are less talked about. So um, one of them was the, the watch company Amare. So we have watches in, in retail stores uh, all over. And then I had a, a service-based company called Metaphone that was acquired, I think, two years ago, two mm-hmm. and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I let's now just... have the agency box. So yeah, a lot, yeah, lots going on. Yeah, man. So I want to just kind of take us back to your early life, kind of how did you get to where you are? So let's just kind of bring it back to the middle school, high school ages, taking it all the way back. Um, so how were your interests like your grades your passions and how did was there anything specific that really put you into the field of entrepreneurship so i was raised in a very sheltered bubble really so mm-hmm. i i grew up in like a, a township of 600 people mm-hmm. and uh, i was surrounded by farms in every direction for like tw- like the nearest gas station was 20 miles away <laughs> and so I had to drive like over half an hour, be driven uh, to get to school every day because the nearest town that had a high school was like half an hour away. Mm-hmm. And um, as a result of that, the morals and values and belief systems of that small town uh, township were really ingrained into me. And entrepreneurship was not an option, nor was it ever something anybody talked about to the point where I didn't even know what entrepreneurship was until I was an adult. Wow. So I was very, very, very kept under wraps. Like I was heavily uh, expected and pushed to go to college. And that was like the only way out was kind of like the the mentality. And so when I dropped out of college after like only a year in, that was a very, I had no support in that decision. That Mm -hmm. was a very unpopular thing to do. And Mm -hmm. so entrepreneurship was something I kind of stumbled into right after I graduated high school. I went into a, an industry that I think is, it's, it has its pros and cons. Um, the network marketing or multi-level marketing industry 
I think that the biggest pro is that it introduces people to the, to another option mm-hmm. other than just working a job for somebody else. Yeah. I think the con is that it's really hard to, it can be hard to separate the legitimate businesses and the, from the illegitimate ones. And I also think that it can, you can alienate yourself from your friends and family too, if you, if you do things improperly. So, um, but regardless of how anybody feels about that, that was kind of my first introduction to like personal development. That's where I first heard about Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn, right. And all these guys. And, uh, it just at least opened my mind to the idea that there are other ways to, to make a living. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that was kind of my, my childhood, very sheltered, you know, surrounded by farmers. Mm-hmm. And when you first got started and, and you said, you know what, that's it. I don't want a nine to five. I can do much better things. How was like, of course your parents were of course, like not as happy as they would have if you went to college, but did they end up supporting you a little bit later on once they realized you were, you were doing something legitimate? Yeah, but it took a really long time. Um, so to, to give some perspective, my, my dad and I, I love my parents. Um, they raised me with a lot of really sound morals and, and beliefs and everything. Uh, but my dad's a cop. My mom was a teacher and my, my dad's best friend in high school actually went on to be an entrepreneur. And, um, at least from what I've heard from my mom, the reason why my dad and him ended up not being friends anymore was because he, he couldn't believe that he could possibly be making that kind of money unless he was selling drugs. (laughs) And so, I mean, that's the type of, the type of uh, mindset that my parents had about entrepreneurship. So when I first started my business, there was no sport there. You know, it, it took a really, really long time and, until long after I had made more than both my parents for them to say, you know what, I don't really understand what you do or how you make money, but we're proud of you and we support you. But uh, they did come around eventually. So <laughs> for anybody out there who's listening and, and is like, man, I'm getting no love, no support from any of my friends or family. The biggest thing is you just need to not quit on yourself because really the only way to fail or to be a failure is to quit. Mm-hmm. And there's a big difference between failing and being a failure. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, failing is just a part of the process to success. Mm-hmm. And I fail all the time. But, you know, a failure, that's a state, that's a, that's a noun, it's a state of being, right? Mm-hmm. And so if, if that's like, that's a decision, I believe. And I believe that uh, as long as you just don't quit, you keep pursue, uh, pursuing whatever your dreams are, then who cares what other people think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so. very, very important. And so when you graduated high school, you obviously you have to learn about how businesses work because you weren't really familiar with the whole entrepreneurship game. So how did you go from high school to then starting you know, your MLM, your hive? And so how did that, what was the bridge in between that? Was it self-education books, anyone in specific? A tremendous amount of self-education. So one of the biggest things that I think that people don't realize is any entrepreneur that's successful uh, that didn't go to college learned way more on their own than they would have in college. It's not like they dropped out of college because they hated learning. Uh-huh. It was more so dropping out of college in the pursuit of only learning what they want to learn instead of being forced to learn, you know, the stuff that they teach you in generals or, you know, being forced to take another, you know, trigonometry class <laughs> when they knew that that wasn't going to apply to their life. So I would say that if anything, by being an entrepreneur, it's, it's intentional and a significant amount of focused learning that mm-hmm. takes place. Um, so yeah, I learned way more uh, after high school than I ever learned in all of the K through 12 system. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I started out in direct sales, I guess you could say, right? Multi-level marketing, direct sales. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up starting a direct sales company. 
And I started that with my mentor at the time who had had a tremendous amount of success in commercial real estate. So he had sold his real estate portfolio for over 150 million and retired at 42. Wow. And so I was like, man, this, what a better, you know, what could possibly be a better person to start a company with than this guy? Yeah. Well, what I didn't realize and one of the biggest lessons I learned is that just because you're successful in one industry does not mean that success is going to be copy paste for you yeah. in every single thing you go into. And so I learned the hard way that uh, if you don't listen to experts and the people who know what they're doing in the areas that you don't, mm -hmm. then you're going to fail. And that's exactly what happened with that first company. So that first company was a big expensive failure. I had a lot of friends and family that invested into that company and it lost a lot of money. And so at that point, I kind of thought I wasn't cut out to be an entrepreneur. So I actually went back into sales, just regular sales, mm -hmm. uh, like at a car dealership and selling cars and stuff. And the only reason why I got back into entrepreneurship was because I was trying to solve a problem for my mom and my mom was chronically disabled. So she just would sit at home all by herself all day long because she lost her license from her disabilities. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to find or create a solution for her or a way that she could meet new people that were nearby that liked the same things as her so they could pick her up and do something fun. And that was kind of the inspiration for Hive. Mm -hmm. And so Hive led me into this whole other long journey where I moved all the way across the country and raised a bunch of money from a bunch of angel investors and stuff in Silicon Valley. And you know that all started from me trying to help my mom. It, it really wasn't uh, from me trying to escape a nine to five or anything. Mm, yeah. And it's truly the businesses that have an emotional problem or genuinely want to solve something rather than the first interest of making money are the ones that in patterns definitely are the ones that have the passion behind them and that can just quickly rise because there's a deeper purpose into what they're doing. And I really like um, that story. And I also remember reading something um, when you originally created Hive something that you brought up was the lack of genuinity in the networking events that, that you've attended, right? So can you talk a little about why something like a networking event is not anything comparable to something like Hive in terms of genuine relationships and networking? Well, so I think I know where you pulled that from. I, I want to just maybe add a little bit to that. So if you're going to like one of those, you know, young professional meetings or, you know, one of those like business card exchanges, that's the type of networking event I'm talking about. So mm -hmm. where I don't feel like there's a lot of value. And the reason why is because everybody is in it for themselves. So yeah. everybody is going there trying to pitch their services and they're not going to be there with an open mind to receive anything that you may have for them. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a very selfish environment, right? Everybody there is very selfish and everybody's just very self-seeking. Mm -hmm. I don't feel the same way necessarily about entrepreneur events, right? Mm -hmm. So like if you're going to an event to learn mm -hmm. that, I don't see that as a negative. And, mm -hmm. and a lot, I've met a lot of great people at those events. I speak at a lot of those events. Um, and so that's not what I mean by a networking event. I'm sure I've, you're familiar with the ones I'm talking about, the ones yeah. versus card exchange. Yeah. That stuff's a waste of time. And the reason why is because it's just on top of everything I just said, it's also very, uh, inauthentic, right? Yeah. So everybody's trying to, uh, pose and put on their best, whatever. And you don't in real life, in real business, we want to talk about real business. Yeah. Real business does not get closed over conference tables. It gets closed over your steak dinners with wine and friends. Yeah. Like it's, it's closed in, uh, in a matter of friendships. People want to work with people they like, mm -hmm. uh, not just, you know, people who wear nice suits. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one of the biggest things is just being authentically you is going to go a lot further 
as long as you're making sure that you're growing, right, and you're focusing mm-hmm. on your personal growth and you're learning. Um, but being authentically you is going to go a lot farther and, and making actual friendships, trying to lead with value than, you know, buying a suit from JCPenney and going to some business card event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, Hive was, was meant to for people to connect. And I think that the kind of the way that it works, I think it kind of works in a cool way in your mind as well. So do you think that Hive itself and your idea and everything that in, was involved in that, do you think it contributed to your network now and how you were able to grow that using the fundamentals of being genuine and authentic? Undeniably, yes. Mm-hmm. So that's the other thing that people need to realize is, you know, a lot of people say enjoy the journey. I, what, one of the things that I think is important is that you bring, you bring the journey, like pieces of the journey with you as you go. And relationships are the biggest part of that. So obviously you're going to bring with you as you go throughout life, the things that you learn along the way, but you're also going to bring the people with you. Mm-hmm. And I think that so many people, they see where they're at as like a stepping stone mm-hmm. and they, they categorize the people that they're meeting as a stepping stone too. And that is just the wrong mentality. So for me, I had all these relationships with influencers and, and, you know, investors and celebrities and all these people. And Hive was a catalyst or an opportunity for me to secure those relationships as friends, mm-hmm. right? And, and make sure that I could carry those forward moving into my other businesses. And now that I have a marketing agency where we work a lot with influencers and brands, mm-hmm. it helps tremendously, right? Yeah. Because if I was just, if I had just gone straight into that and trying to work with influencers, I wouldn't have had any of the relationship capital built up to get yeah. better deals for brands and all that type of stuff. So 100%, you should be actively aware of what you can take from each experience throughout your life. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's something that I take a lot of pride on. I do it with myself with the podcast, because of course the podcast doesn't have a direct monetary gain, but the relationship capital that I'm able to have with every single one of my guests, I know, I mean, I'm only 18, but when I like, you know, go very, very deep into the business world, I know that it will definitely help me in one way or the other. They can connect me to this one person who gives me this one phone call that can completely change my life. And a lot of people, when they first start a business, they always look money first and status first, and they don't really focus on, on providing the real value and creating the genuine relationships. And I think that's why so many people, they start with, with step three or four, but they skip the foundations, which is just being genuine and a good person. That's what leads to everything else. Yeah. And, and the reality too is it is wildly difficult to make money if you're trying to make money. <laughs> yeah. Like it, and I swear, like it, it, the, the biggest pivotal moment for most entrepreneurs and they'll, they'll all say the same thing is when they stop focusing so much on trying to make money mm-hmm. and they instead focused on trying to help people, mm-hmm. trying to solve problems. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it, it like money, the, the faster you chase after money, the faster it runs. Like I've yeah. just, I've learned to not focus on trying to get money and instead just focusing on trying to add value uh, to the marketplace as much as I possibly can. And money just flows in when you do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And going back to Hive, of course, when anyone starts an app, it's insanely difficult to get a consistent base of users and things like that. So when you first got started, what were some things that you did to kind of get that, that jump start to, to continuously have uh, more, more and more users by, by the day? So we did something that had never been done before at the time, which was we uh, brought on influencers, hundreds of them for equity. Mm-hmm. So oh, wow. instead of paying them in cash, we brought them on for equity, which incentivized them to, to make their equity worth something. Right. Yeah. 
And so um, by bringing them on for equity, we also were able to avoid a lot of, a lot of uh, logistics with, um, you know, like not have, like, like right now you have to say, because the FTC, you have to say hashtag ad. Yeah. Right. And that kind of tarnishes the, the worth of that post. So like we were able to legally not have to say that stuff because they were owners of the business. Right. So we, we created some pretty powerful network effects just off the back of people promoting something as though it was their own because it was. Mm-hmm. And so um, we were the first company to ever do that. And now, I mean, that's a really, really, really hard sell to convince an influencer who's used to being paid tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to instead take equity in something that may or may not be worth something down the road. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but that's so what we did. Yeah. So now you were able to get that general thing. And <clears throat> do you still offer that service to influencers? I know obviously you're not the, the active CEO, but do you know if that's something, an incentive that you guys still give to influencers? No, not anymore. So Hive, Hive is under like a really big transition right now. And uh, by depending on when people are listening to this, they'll see what that transition is probably within the next six months from mm-hmm. when this is released. But um, it's under a really, really big transition. And so we won't, the transition it's going under won't require any additional influencer, uh, influencer posts, I mm-hmm. guess. I, that's all I can really say on it right now. Yeah. But I work a lot with influencers through Monopolize, which is mm-hmm. a marketing agency. So a lot of the people that we worked with through Hive, we've since given, you know, additional brand deals and stuff through other uh, clients of ours. Mm-hmm. So speaking of monopolize, I know you kind of had a head start with Hive to kind of transfer that that over to monopolize. But how did you get started working with such top companies in terms of not only singular influencers but Fortune 500 companies? So I also partnered with absolutely world class people. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I'll, I will always be the first to say is that monopolize is not successful just because of me. It's, and and I mean my my partners are absolute rock stars in this space. Um, one of my partners is the, it's the founding team of shipped, which mm-hmm. sold to target for 550 million. So, I mean, a, a sale that big to a fortune 50 company will very easily land you big clients because they literally were doing work for target. So if they can do work for target, they can do work for any company. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other is the founder of fit right? Fit T and yeah. happy team, which is that they pioneered influencer marketing and they've been working with the Kardashians and all the biggest celebrities in the world since 2012. So between them and the other partners that we have involved, we really have, uh, we have the biggest, most powerful influencer network in the world. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's definitely more about my partnerships than it is just about me. Mm-hmm. But obviously I have a pretty extensive network myself that I can tap into as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the whole reason why you're able to create a network like Hive and Monopolize with these influencer networks is because of your core values, which are, which is the whole reason why you even got back into entrepreneurship, which is to help your mom create more genuine relationships rather than oh, like here, buy this product and sell. So I think that's very, very important that not a lot of people realize it started from your why and your purpose of doing entrepreneurship as a whole and obviously branched into so many different things. But I think in all the projects that you work on, you have that core of, of having meaningful relationships and not worrying about the money first and you know, the money will obviously follow once you build those very important connections. 100%. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I want to quickly transition to something uh, that I know a lot of people know about you, the Jubilee uh, episode from middle ground and kind of how things like that. And I know you started making content now on Instagram. So what, when did you make that transition to not really being as active to, okay, I'm going to 
have my digital footprint in terms of, of content on Instagram and, and YouTube and things like that? Yeah. So for me, it's always been about focus. I think that focus is, is the superpower of today's society. And so I've known that I should have a personal brand for years, uh-huh. years and years and years and years, but it's always been a lower priority compared to the things that I've been building. Yeah. And so this year was kind of the first year where I really decided to put some more effort into my personal brand. And that's why I started a YouTube channel. And that's why, you know, I've started trying to actively help people with, you know, modeling after the stuff that I built. So I have like agency box now, and we can talk about that later, but that's also why I did the Jubilee program, but they actually reached out to me. So I don't, I still don't know how they found me, but mm-hmm. they just said, Hey, we're looking, you know, we're trying to do this program and we're looking to do you know, we're looking to do millionaires versus minimum wage workers. And I just thought it sounded really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're really, they're really great people. I really like the work that they're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I I saw that video and it just, did that in a way change your perspective about money or did it just kind of repeat what you already knew? No, no, not at all. Actually. I think that the, on the millionaire side, everyone will say that it cemented their views about money. I've always been a firm believer that money does not change people. It just augments or exaggerates who you already are. Mm-hmm. It's like adding a megaphone to you. So if you're a greedy, selfish, horrible person, money is going to make you a very greedy, very selfish, and very horrible person because you'll have more resources to be who you are. And if you're a very selfless, kind, generous person, money is just going to make you more kind, more selfless, and more generous. Mm-hmm. And I think that the concept of money changing people is completely false. Mm-hmm. And I also think that um, one of the things that's funny about that Jubilee episode actually is that was three hours worth of conversation that they edited down into 10 minutes. Wow. And they made me look very quiet, which I'm not. Yeah, I realized so, that. I saw yeah, they, they edited me to look very quiet, which I am not a quiet person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that they, I think what they did do a good job of is they did fairly represent the views and stances of everybody in the video because mm-hmm. I, after talking to everybody for three hours, I have a you know pretty good understanding of what people's views and stances are and beliefs. Mm-hmm. And I, I did feel like they did justice by everybody in the editing. But yeah, that was a three hour long conversation. So it's hard to edit that down into 10 minutes. Yeah, the power of editing, man. And something else I want to uh, kind of touch up on is, of course, when you first got started, there was a lot of, you said you had a lot of angel investors investing in you, things like that. Um, and a lot of people were just getting started don't really know how to get that kind of funding and what it takes and how to prepare well for something like that. So can you talk a little bit about things like incubators and how programs like that, as well as just anything that you think people should know before they want to get funding or what kind of position they should be at? Yeah. So I actually ran an accelerator for a while, like an incubator Mm -hmm. accelerator Mm -hmm. and we helped people raise tens of millions of dollars through that. And uh, the biggest thing is that people just are, wildly underprepared when they go into a like, like the people are trying to pitch VCs, which by the way is a late stage, that's late stage financing. Mm-hmm. People are trying to pitch VCs over cold emails when they don't even have a pitch deck <laughs> or a prototype yet. So the biggest thing is just calm down, realize that everybody has good ideas. And the only thing that's going to separate you from everyone else is execution of the idea. And mm-hmm. there is no value at all in your idea. Nobody cares, right? That's mm-hmm. the cold truth. A flip side of that coin, the good, side, the good side, is that execution can get you anywhere, right? So you can actually have a mediocre idea, but if you have phenomenal execution, you can make it work. Mm-hmm. And so the, the biggest thing is nobody cares about your idea. You need to make sure that you are as prepared as you can possibly be, that you have a sound pitch deck, you have a minimum viable product or a prototype of some kind before you even bother talking to investors. 
-hmm. and that there's as much tangible something as you can give those investors before you even try reaching out. Cause that's the number one thing that I see people do wrong. Mm -hmm. And when you first got started, obviously it was your first time and you really know everything. So was there anyone that you look up to and, and kind of gave you the same advice that you're sharing right now, or did you kind of learn through it and you got lucky or you kind of prepared the right way or how did that work? No. So I, I learned everything the longest, hardest, and most expensive way possible. <laughs> like I, I, everything I just said, I learned in bits and pieces from rejection. Mm -hmm. Right. So it was going to the co-founder of TechCrunch's, you know, mega mansion just, and super excited, right. Just for him to tell me that I wasted his time. Right. And we ended up becoming friends later, but yeah. um, it's just, it's that over and over and over and over again. Hey, why are, why are we talking? You don't even have this yet. Hey, come back when you have this. Hey, come back when like just over and over and over and over and over. And so the biggest thing that I say to save everybody time is just make sure that you already have a pitch deck. You already have your prototype. And here's the thing. Try your best to, to not even have to raise money. Mm -hmm. If you already know that you need to raise money, then fine. But if you're like, say to the person right now <laughs> who's thinking about starting a business and you don't really care what type of business it is necessarily, you just want to help people and you want to make money, do not start an app. Do not start something that's going to have, you know, raising money is so hard. 0.91%, less than 1% is the percentage wow. of people that ever raised from a VC or an angel investor. And it took me 20 months, Wow! right? 20 months of sleeping on a floor of an illegally modified 1200 square foot house that I shared with 20 other people. So you can take that route. I'm not saying you're going to fail, um, but it's just so unnecessarily hard, mm -hmm. right? And so I, I've already, I've created programs and I have stuff in place for people who want to start their first <laughs> business that's way cheaper and easier. And so do a lot of other people because it's just, so many people get caught up in that. I spent $70,000 of my own money, all my savings sleeping on a floor, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're just not willing to do what it takes. And then they have such high ambitions for the money right away. And they, and they think that money is going to solve all their possible problems. You know, they, they can't produce fast enough. Oh, well, let's just throw a bunch of money in it. And they don't really plan it out. And that's why a lot of them end up losing a lot of that money and are unable to. And, and that's why a lot of the businesses fail. I know that's like a pretty common trend in, in things like Shark Tank, where they have a lot of investors. Well, and the other thing that's that's a misconception, too, is, is you know, say you raise a million dollars, you don't get to keep that million dollars. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think like, oh, man, like that person just became a multimillionaire. It's like, well, maybe the value of their stock that they can't even really get anybody to buy. Sure. But, you know, if you raise a couple million dollars, you'll be lucky to, to have $100,000 a year salary. Oh, yeah. That's another thing, by the way. People over they overestimate like their, their worth of their company. And then they, they just, it just becomes a laughing act when they try to pitch something like that because they don't really have the results to back it up. Exactly. So I, I 100% recommend like, uh, my, my marketing agency hit huge revenue numbers its first month and hive basically like didn't make any money at all for like five years. Wow. It's just that, that type of, if it, if usually if it's a business that requires raising money, it's not going to make money for a very long time, if ever. So it's mm -hmm. better to focus on a business model that you can make money with right out of the gate. Um, but like we talked about earlier, not only starting a business for the money necessarily. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's a lot of things like, like what you do with Monopolize that are pretty recent business models. So when you first got started with entrepreneurship, I know the main reason was for Hive, 
But knowing all, all the business models that exist in 2019, which one do you think you would have started with and which one do you think interests you the most? Marketing agency, hands down. Because now, like, one of the things that we've been helping people do is we'll, we'll uh, help them start an agency, show them exactly how to get clients. Mm -hmm. Then our agency will do all the fulfillment for them. So, like, uh -huh. the hardest part about starting an agency was, like, you had to know how to do Facebook ads. And you had to have connections with influencers. And you had to know how to build websites. Like, we do all the fulfillment for these people now. And we also take the first step for them and helping them. Uh, we, we build out a website and give them a logo and we, and like they can do all that stuff and say they sell a website for 1500 bucks. They can wholesale it to us to fulfill for 600 and make 900 bucks for basically doing no work. Mm -hmm. And they can get it started for less than the cost of building out a website. Mm -hmm. So like, that's the type of stuff that I'm more focused on. And I think is kind of the future of helping young entrepreneurs is helping them get started in a business model where the first step is taken for them. Cause that's always the hardest place is like knowing where, or how to start. And then where the really complicated stuff is white labeled, right? Mm -hmm. Cause all the biggest companies in the world, they white label stuff because it's impossible to be good at everything. Some of the yeah. biggest marketing agencies on the planet of which one of the owners has the shoes that are right behind you white labeled. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so it's just, that's the nature of the business. And a lot of people don't realize that. So they think they have to be good at everything. And it's impossible to be good at everything, right? Yeah. Jack of all trades, master of none. Mm -hmm. So it's better to just white label it all. We have, and that's, that's why I started Agency Box. And that's what we help people do is we just help them get started with something that, you know, should be hard and we just make it a lot easier. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I know you've been working on a few different projects. You've been kind of taking a step back with high, but you've been working very hard on monopolize and, and you're doing very big numbers. So for the, for the listeners out there that don't really know what it takes, can you kind of walk us through a basic day in the life of Brett Knutson? What does it take on a day-to-day -day basis as a CEO of, of so many different types of projects? Uh, it takes a really good team of people around you at this point. Um, one of the biggest things that I think that I, I hope is never miscommunicated to anybody is that I started all these things at the same time. <laughs> like you, you should only have one business to start and then get that automated and delegated, get people in place. And then you can worry about starting a second business or a second stream of income or whatever else. Mm -hmm. And so I have multiple businesses, but I did not start them anywhere near the same time. And uh, whenever I did try and start businesses too close together, they would fail. You, you only have so much ability to split your focus. So um, I have really good people around me. And most of my time is spent on the phone uh, or it's, you know, emails, Zoom calls. It's, it's mostly just communicating with people is all day. Mm. And if I'm traveling, right, if I'm in other states, then it's just meeting with those people in person instead of over the phone. So it's just, it's a lot of working with people, talking to people, um, closing deals. And, um, you know, that's all I do all day. Mm -hmm. And in terms of habits, I know there's like a secret millionaire morning and so many different habits. Do you implement anything like that in terms of, of there's like a magic formula when you wake up 3am, meditate, run 10 miles, like they, they no. over exaggerate these. So how yeah. does it, how does that look like for you that kind of time period? Uh, well, let's just say I know a lot of people that preach that stuff that don't do it. <laughs> um, so the, the biggest thing you need to know is that habits are important and habits do define you. They do create results but they don't have to be at 4 a.m. Yeah. I am not and never have been a morning person and neither are a lot of the very successful yeah. people that these people follow on Instagram. But guess what? I go to the gym every single day at 3.30 p.m., mm -hmm. right? I still go to the gym every day. I still read every day. I still do all these important things every day, 
but I do them at a time when I know I can be consistent. If you hate waking up in the morning, the last thing you should do is try to wake up in the morning, which you hate, and start a new habit at a time when you hate being awake. Yeah. Because that is, that is setting yourself up to fail, right? So I set myself up to succeed. I outsmart my own behavior. I know when I'm going to be, you know, like all the excuses that I used to make when I would try and work out in the morning, I have them all taken care of by 3.30. Yeah. I have no excuse, right? Well, I'm already hydrated, right? Because I was just, well, oh, I'm so dehydrated in the morning. I can't work out in the morning. <laughs> well, I'm already hydrated. I'm awake, right? I, I have the energy. So all the excuse, you just got to get the excuses out of the way, outsmart your own behavior, but you do need to have those habits. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. The reason why people talk about waking up at 4am is because there is a magic to that. It's very peaceful. It's very quiet. You have those hours to yourself completely because no one's bugging you. So mm-hmm. if you're a morning person, then do it in the morning. But if you're not, don't hate on yourself for it because there's plenty of successful people who have found other other ways to instill their habits. Yeah, and like you said, a lot of people that, that are preaching it don't do it themselves. So that just goes to show um, that not a lot of people are very consistent with it. But I know a lot of people also get, there's a, apparently a magic number for sleep. So in terms of you, what is, do you get like the normal eight hours? Do you like do anything special or how does that work? Yeah, I, I get within a half an hour of eight hours pretty much most nights mm-hmm. um so yeah I'm, i think sleep is really really important mm-hmm. and i've seen people try and operate on a lack of sleep and it's, here's the thing once again it's different for everybody some people are morning people some people aren't some people can operate well off of five hours of sleep and some people can't mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter how badly you want to be one of those people if you're not you're not Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and I'm speaking, I'm, I'm sure you can tell in the, the tone of my voice I'm speaking from personal experience. Yeah. I have tried to be the person who wakes up at 4am. I've done it for several months in a row without missing a day, but mm-hmm. it hurts me. <laughs> right. It makes, it causes me to get physically sick. I, I'm yeah. more susceptible to illness and colds uh-huh. because my, my uh, ability to fight them off is weakened by my lack of sleep. Mm-hmm. I am less effective in business because I'm tired and groggy and my, my brain fog, right? So I can't beat out my own genetics. Mm-hmm. So don't try and beat your own genetics. Just tr- do the very best with what you have. Mm-hmm. That's what matters. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely important. And of course, like you said, health issues. Health is definitely something that people do not prioritize and it causes a lot of things long term. Um, so in terms of your own personal businesses such as monopolize and hive whatever what are you what are the five-year plans for that what are you trying to implement i know hive is going through a major shift but where do you see monopolize do you see the kind of taking um more of an educational route in terms of helping people as well so where do you see the vision uh towards all your projects that you're working on so i i have three main focuses right now um mm-hmm. and like i said i can't really talk about what hive is doing at the moment mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, monopolize is my main focus mm-hmm. and you know we're working with brands where we do influencer marketing paid media we do all that type of stuff mm-hmm. um, the second main focus i have is called agency box it's my yeah. agency that's helping other entrepreneurs get started with their first successful business right so and, and we do everything for them except for the getting clients part which we teach them exactly how we get clients it's very easy to do the third focus I have is my YouTube channel, which I just started a couple months ago. And that's uh, where I'm dumping the vast majority of free value. So um, that's like my three main focuses right now. Mm-hmm. I think that anybody who has more than three main focuses 
is going to fail. Unless you have a tremendous amount of systems and people and stuff in place, it's just not possible to juggle that many balls mm-hmm. and not drop some or mm-hmm. all. And when they get started, you definitely recommend not even two or three, just to focus on one. And then once you've kind of automated them kind of to, to get into two and three, but three is like uh, the top, the max focus to effectively uh, manage businesses. But, but again, not starting three at a time though. Yeah. And YouTube is not even really a business. So it's, it's, it's really, you just have to understand like so many people look up to people without realizing how many plates they're dropping. Look at Elon Musk, right? Everybody's like, man, Elon, what an amazing person. Elon, Elon, Elon. Okay. Cause he's, he has these several multi-billion dollar companies. Mm-hmm. Well, he's also been divorced four or five times. Yeah. That's a plate or a ball that he dropped, right? Mm-hmm. It's impossible to do everything. You can't be good at everything. So you need to understand that and just, you know, put your head down, focus on one thing, build systems and people and processes around that and then automate and delegate. And then you can worry about something else. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I think that's definitely something that a lot of people miss out on the beginning and they like to work in the business instead of creating the processes to then kind of expand and then work on whatever else they have. And like you said, it's not only business. I feel like it's more like areas of life as well as, as businesses that if you're focusing on a business and then you have this project here and this project and like, for example, me, I have school now. So that kind of impacts in, in whatever businesses I'm trying to do. And then the podcast, things like that. So it gets, it gets really difficult. And I mean, the school system itself, it just, it puts that one thing that you're supposed to focus on, on a pedestal. And then that's why when you're starting to want to start something else, basically impossible with the times and your focus and attention thing like that. That's really a problem that, I, that I'm trying to address right now. Yeah, no, and, and it never goes away. That's the other thing too, is like, don't, n- nobody needs to feel like there's some issue that they're having that nobody else has. And I mean, this is something that I deal with on a, on an everyday basis, mm-hmm. right? Making sure that I keep the top things, the top things. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's been plenty of instances where I've almost dropped something or where I have dropped something. And it's just, it's a, it's a part of life. Mm-hmm. Right. But the only, the only thing that uh, you need to be ashamed of is if you're making the same mistake over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So it's fine to make mistakes. It's fine to drop the ball. It's fine to do this stuff, but just don't, don't do it over and over again. Right. Learn from your mistakes and don't do it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very important. And of course, you've been connected with so many of the top influencers. I don't even need to name them. Everyone probably already knows them. But do you, how do you think that has impacted your businesses, not in terms of the connection, but in terms of the knowledge, the inside knowledge you've been able to have from just hanging out with these people and, and seeing what they're doing, uh, really getting the inside scoop on it? I think when it comes to business influencers, right? Like all the people that, that everybody listens to on these business podcasts. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing is just understanding that there's more than one right answer sometimes. Yeah. Right. And so a lot of times people will say, you know, but so-and-so said this or, you know, or so-and-so said this. And, and the reality is sometimes both answers can be right. Right. Like Grant, Grant preaches commercial real estate. Other people, you know, preach residential real estate. Well, guess what? There's been, you know, billionaires made out of both. Yeah. So it's just, it's understanding that sometimes there's more than right, one right answer. And what matters is to not deliberate over which answer, but it's just to pick one and then just follow that person's model that's worked for them. Just do it as closely as you possibly can, because otherwise you'll just get stuck in analysis paralysis and you'll never go anywhere. When it comes to influencers like Vine stars and Instagram stars and stuff like that, what I would say is there's a big difference between having a lot of followers and being influential. 
Yeah. And so just because someone has a lot of followers because they have a pretty face or whatever, or, you know, they make funny jokes, doesn't mean that they can actually uh, sway anybody's opinions at all. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people, like a shocking amount of people that have <laughs> millions of followers that are dead broke and borrowing money from their parents. Wow. So uh, don't get caught up in, you know, the shiny object of being, you know, famous or having a lot of followers and instead focus on actually making an impact and actually helping people and actually being influential, not just having a bunch of followers. Mm-hmm. Well, man, I think that's a great point to kind of end off with. And I think that can literally apply to anything, whether that be shiny objects in business or personal life, because a lot of people have the agenda of, oh, car check, new house check, wife check. And I think a lot of people get stuck in that in that loop that society gives us and it causes a lot of problems. So, Brett, I just want to say thank you for hopping on. I've had such an amazing time uh, talking to you about all these different topics. Um, just like a final thought, where can people find out more about you? Yeah. So, uh, Instagram is just my last name, K N U T S O N Knudsen, mm-hmm. uh, YouTube, same thing, just Brett Knudsen. And, uh, if you want to like, you know, start a business or whatever, you're looking to work with me on that. That's just my agency mm-hmm. All right, man. Well, thank you again. And we will see you guys on the next episode.